Welcome to the MedEvidence Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Corrin and Michelle McCormick. MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the real truth behind medical research with both a clinical and research perspective. In this podcast, we'll have discussions with physicians that have extensive experience in patient care and research. How do you know that something works? In medicine, we conduct clinical trials to see if things work. Now, let's get the truth behind the data. Welcome to MedEvidence, powered by Encore Research Group. Go to EncoreDocs.com. So I have the pleasure and privilege of working t- this morning with a good friend of mine, Charlie Boris, a tremendous primary care physician and a cannabis expert who now practices cannabis medicine. So we had a very intriguing initial discussion about your practice, and now we're going to dig in a little bit more. Sure. Now we're going to get into the, the, the meaty stuff. And uh, both Charlie and I have, yeah, there you go, <laughs> right or all. So, so both Charlie and I have a long history of doing clinical research, and we have a tremendous interest in the scientific method and how we learn the truth through medical research. And uh, it's interesting. There are challenges when you work with something that has historically been an intoxicant. And there are some people that will <clears throat> pass judgment on that right away, and we have to educate them through that. And there's other people that will you know, claim that they'll dismiss the medical properties of it because they perceive it as an intoxicant. But it turns out that there's a very long history in American medicine, particularly, of looking at intoxicants and figuring out how to medicalize them. Mm-hmm. So, Charlie, you, know, you are a part of this great tradition that we have. Nice. Yeah. So again, um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll do my quick lecture here at this point, and then I'll let you jump in. But I, I, you know, as you know, I love medical history, and I know that you share that 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 love. So mm-hmm. uh, indulge me just for a second. So interestingly, um, the the concept of ether general anesthesia was one that was medicalized in nineteen excuse me in eighteen forty eight at Mass General Hospital in a famous place called the Ether Dome. But it actually has a history that predated that for centuries. So the way you create ether is very simply put alcohol into sulfuric acid and then heat it. And the gas that comes up is ether. It's actually a diethyl ether. And when you inhale that, it makes you intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And if you inhale enough of it, it'll put you to sleep. And you won't wake up so quick. <laughs> so that's the that's history of ether. And a lot of people over the years have messed with it. And mostly they did it recreationally. Actually, one of the famous stories is that there's a guy named Humphrey Davy, who is probably the greatest chemist of all time. He's the one that discovered sodium and potassium as, oh, wow. as the elements. I think he discovered six or seven different elements as a, as a British chemist back in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And he and his buddies at Oxford used to put uh, boil this up in the lab and sniff it. And that was their idea for partying on, on Friday night. <laughs> so that's what they did. But it never occurred to them to medicalize it. And interestingly, that happened in the United States because we're kind of more free in the United States. We weren't as rigid as the Brits. And we would try things and see how they work. So Crawford Long, who's a very famous name, who uh, is a hospital at Emory named after him, was just a country surgeon that learned about how to use ether, how to create it. And he found out that he could get his patients to sniff it and they would fall asleep and he could do surgery on them. Nice. And in the 1840s, he was actually doing lots of surgery in his country practice on these people. It wasn't, wasn't considered standard medicine and some people thought he was a... Uh, he may be a little bit, bit cuckoo, but it worked. 
And what happened is that um, eventually people in the Northeast, which was like the intellectual capital of the country then, as it may be now, uh, said, hey, mate, let's check this out. So there was a dentist named uh, William Morton, who was from Connecticut. He had a little bit of a checkered background, but we won't go into that right now. But he discovered in his dental practice that you can use this ether, you can put people to sleep and do major surgeries. And he went to a very prominent surgery at Mass General Hospital named John Warren and said, let's show this publicly. So in 1948, they showed the first public demonstration of ether general anesthesia. And uh, Dr. Morton provided the anesthesia, which started the whole concept of anesthesiology. And Dr. Warren did the surgery. And this guy had a big tumor of his neck pulled off, basically cut off his neck under ether general anesthesia without any pain. Wow. And so Impressive. a lot right. of nerves in that neck. Exactly, exactly. So we went from uh, this intoxicant to something that was medicalized. And that actually launched the whole profession of anesthesiology and general yeah. anesthesia. Old was never the same. No, exactly. There you go. So in in that light, what you're doing is similar to what Dr. Morton did. You are okay. a pioneer in, in what you're doing. And so just tell us a little bit about that, and then we're going to really dig into the science. So how, how do patients respond to that concept? Do they, do they understand it, or how do they interact with you on that? For the most part, they do understand it, but it does you have to hold the hand and read the crowd a little bit differently because there's so many preconceived notions, myths, misconceptions that I was under the influence of until nine years ago. Mm. Dad came down with ALS, mm. and it was my brother Peter that had done the research and kept seeing cannabis come up. And I don't recall this, but he says I laughed at him when he mentioned that cannabis could be used for <clears throat> ALS. But he's a smart guy, and mm -hmm. so I knew, I'm going to do my homework, and then we'll talk. <laughs> right, right. And that started the journey of learning about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And so once you understand the science, which I do, and you explain that to people, then they start getting, and I'm pretty passionate about how I advocate for their health Absolutely. benefits. Once you understand it and that catches on, they become pretty pumped up. So instilling the sense of hope and optimism is the real key. The other aspect of treatment is we always start low doses. Mm -hmm. You start low, you go slow. You tiptoe up to finding the specific right. therapeutic dose for each. And that's the medical perspective that's very, very important. Yeah. And again, as we develop any type of new technology, particularly in a technology that has the past of being an intoxicant, mm -hmm. you have to take those steps to make sure that when you do it correctly, but uh, also making it clear to patients that this is in a thoughtful, structured manner. Exactly. So let's, let's get into the cannabinoid receptors. Help, mm -hmm. help people understand what that means and why that's important. I'd like to preface that with just a brief overview of the endocannabinoid system. Perfect. The receptors aren't going to make sense without knowing the system. Absolutely. Go for it. Around 1990, there were experiments <clears throat> to try and determine what does THC do? Where's it going? What's its mechanism of action? By doing so, they discovered a complex series of receptors everywhere within the body heavy concentrations of what we call CB1 receptors in the nervous system, specifically the brain area, and then a heavy concentration of CB2 receptors in the immune system, which is 80% located in the gut and in the peripheral nervous system along with the lymphatic system as well. So those receptors are activated by cannabis 
and it helps push the on button for our endocannabinoid system to work. Now, brief explanation of what the endocannabinoid system does, it oversees the function of every physiologic system in the body. So its job is to maintain physiologic homeostasis. Mm -hmm. We have 11 different physiologic systems. If any of those systems are not working up to their capacity, the endocannabinoid system's consistently monitoring all systems, and it starts producing whatever neurotransmitters and chemicals right. are needed to dial that system yeah. up. To its so, yeah, so, it, <clears throat> so in lay terms, homeostasis is a word that means balance, balance. basically. And, <clears throat> and there are a lot of different chemical systems that are interacting with each other in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So getting back to the old <clears throat> Chinese medicine concepts of yin and yang, yes. it's, it's really true, but now we actually know what the chemicals are. Yes. So, so talk a little bit more about the receptors, uh, given the fact that we know that there's, it's, it's part of this big system of balance. Mm-hmm. So the same receptors, CB1 and 2 receptors, are also on every <clears throat> inch of our skin. So when they are activated by THC predominantly, mm-hmm. CBD seems to work <clears throat> on a different set of receptors, and it's felt to be over 60 different receptors that CBD works. But it complements the activation provided by THC. That's mm-hmm. how our body is able to get the endocannabinoid system to be turned on. So the receptors, like a lock and a key mechanism, it sees the THC, binds to it, activates whatever system is needed to have improvements. So I'm sure through this um, scientific discovery that has occurred over the last 30 years, there have been some efforts at traditional drug development in the space. Mm -hmm. And if you want to make a comment about that and how that influences influences you if it does at all. There have been some isolated THC molecules, the whole Marinol Mm -hmm. development. It hasn't, people haven't responded to that as well as Mm -hmm. traditional cannabis. And it's felt to be because there's so many active chemical compounds in cannabis, well over 400 and well over 180 different cannabinoids in cannabis that are felt to work together in what's called the entourage effect mm-hmm. where the but whole impor- symphony but it's important that marinol is actually an approved drug it is an approved drug right? an yeah. fda approved drug that went through the traditional drug development process exactly so and a good start and and the perspective that you're bringing is that it may only hit the receptor in one way and perhaps you need to hit it in multiple ways you can't really compare, let's say, there's, let's round it out to about 450 active constituents within the marijuana bud itself. You're not going to get the same response using an orchestral ana- right, analogy. Right, sure, sure, sure. A 450-piece orchestra is going to have a lot more power in the music than a solo player. Right. So Marinol is a solo player. It's missing all right. its backup. How, however loud you play the piccolo, it's not the, quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Very interesting uh, analogy. I like it. I like it. And uh, you and I have actually had some experience working in this space. So if with any receptor, you can either block it mm-hmm. or stimulate it. So we know, for example, marijuana causes the munchies, and you mm-hmm. might want to explain why that is. 
but um, we know that we can either stimulate that receptor and, and increase your appetite, or we can suppress that receptor and decrease your appetite. And we worked on a drug called Romanobont. Okay, right. So why don't you go give, us, give, give the audience a little insight into that? One of the benefits of activating the CB1 receptors is on mood. When the receptors are activated, we're producing the neurotransmitters responsible for mood, appetite, sleep, memory, menstrual function. I mean, it's a pretty long list of things. And it does give you the munchies. <laughs> Pure THC-11. Yeah. The interesting side note is when CBD is mixed in with the THC, there's weight loss. Interesting. Usually through the increase in the rate of metabolism, people eat an average of 60 more calories a day, and yet they still lose weight. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So Romanobonts, which was a cannabinoid receptor antagonist, antagonist. would um, help people lose weight. And it was briefly on the market in certain parts around the world because it was effective for weight loss, but there was a problem with it. And, and you want to go ahead and... You don't mess with Mother Nature. And there you are. So These people had mood right. issues. There was some depression, more anxiety, difficulty sleeping. I think there were some suicidal type thoughts yeah. anyway. There were a few uh, completed suicides, which is why the FDA ultimately did not approve it, even though it was approved in other places. And then ultimately other regulatory authorities took it off the market. But it was an interesting dynamic. And it actually, and I'm bringing it up because you have to deal with these kind of things. And it's one of the advantages that you have in your type of practice where you can do things a little more freelancing than you can do in drug development. True. So, for example, um, we had lots of patients together that yeah. took Vermont Bound. They loved how it helped them lose weight. Oh, yeah, man. It was extremely it effective. Was working. It was really working. But they would say, yeah, I feel great, but I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, literally, people would, would, would be, have lost 40 pounds, and they had never been able to lose weight before. And um, we would try to take the drug away from them because their mood was bad. No, 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 it's okay. I can, I can deal with this depression <laughs> because they felt so good about the weight loss. So, again, it shows you that balance and how difficult it can be. And so um, is that do – you, do you give advice on manipulating CBD versus THC based on these Absolutely. kind of considerations? We're okay. all different. We're all unique. You know, we may have the same set of clinical problems as 500 other people, but we are uniquely us and we don't always respond the same way so many times we do make adjustments that's why we have such a vigorous support system we want to hold a person's hand as much as it needs to be held right we literally have some people that are so sick thought i saw sick people during my 36 years in clinical <laughs> practice i'm seeing sicker people now because wow. we have so many specialists referring us the tough ones that they've tried all of their tricks but we have people, they're welcome to call us every day. Mm -hmm. Peter will talk to them and tell me what you did yesterday. How did it work? This is what I want you to do today. Call me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we'll just walk them through until we've established the therapeutic dose for them. Sometimes that does just require adjustments in the products. Often it does. Now, um, the other th thing that I've experienced in my very, very limited exposure to a dispensary, I went up to a dispensary in Canada Oh, probably about three or four years ago, and they had all these different products. Does it matter what part of the world the product comes from? Uh, is it 
that, that not particularly important, the, the species of plant. T- t- talk a little bit about it that. It doesn't seem to matter mm-hmm. that much as long as you know what's in the product. Okay. You can make comparisons to what a person, let's say they are got certified here in Florida and they're using a certain combination of whatever strain of THC with whatever ratio of CBD or even separately, as long as you can look for that at a different dispensary, but some places don't really list exactly what's in there. So mm-hmm. that's why you have to have knowledgeable support staff able to tell you exactly and, what's in And how in do they the figure product. that out? How, how do they analyze the those components? At least here in the States, mm-hmm. every product has to go through a dual analysis, mm-hmm. not just by the farm that grew it, but by a third-party outside agency. And if they don't match up, it doesn't hit the market. So you're able to look up through that certificate of analysis and know exactly what's in the product. I don't know if Canada does the same thing. One would hope. Uh, well, as I recall, they did have an analysis of CBD versus THC. But I was also interested in knowing if there are any other components to the product that matter in terms of country of origin or the soil or things of that nature. Well, typically in in the states, only Florida farms Mm. provide Florida dispensaries. They don't come from elsewhere. So you're able to know exactly what the soil was like. And most of them. So they they have a little grapefruit flavor (laughs) when you get from Florida. Terpenes (laughs) Terpenes have medicinal benefits and add the smell and the flavor and a lot to do with the therapeutic action as well. Interesting. There's so many terps that are present in the the plant kingdom, and especially the fruit kingdom, that work quite well along with it. So for so many different types, though, of mm-hmm. THC and CBD, mm-hmm. where I see us going eventually is that you'll be able to know exactly what mix of THC and CBD. For example, there's THCA, mm-hmm. CBDG, sure. which is the mother compound of CBD. There's these forms that have no intoxication and potent medicinal benefits, Mm. but we don't seem to have access to those in Florida at this point in time. So hopefully this is what the future is going to hold. We'll have more choices of products. Exciting. So for our next segment, I'm going to ask you to get into some clinical scenarios. We're not going to share any names, of course. Of course. But um, I want you to give us give me a sense for the range of people you've been able to help in your practice. Absolutely happy to. I'm your host, Michelle McCormick, and we want to thank Dr. Michael Corrin for his clinical and research perspective behind the science in this episode of Med Evidence: The Truth Behind the Data. 